Good evening, folks. Coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown. You are listening to the award-winning InfoHub Hour with Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. And today must be a good day or I must be dreaming because joining me today and from now on is Maleka Fruin. Maleka, it is so good to have you back. Thank you, Rashid. Thank you, Tom. And thanks for all the work you've been doing over the summer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, Maleka, I'm happy that you have enjoyed my voice in your absence. And now our fable, our neighbors can feel double the love while we're on the air. Definitely. And um, one thing I'm really looking forward to is exploring solutions this fall. This past Sunday, we had our Germantown Voices closing celebration at the Attic Brewery, and it was just like really nice to hear stories and see people in person who have worked on so many different projects this year. Mm -hmm. And then like since reconnecting with some of those participants, it's just been great seeing those full circle moments. And so some of them were like starting new projects when they first recorded. And now look, right, we're months later and these people are now knee deep into, into those endeavors. And so it's really just truly a sight to just see. Yes. Now, remember, the InfoHub Hour is all about news and engagement in Germantown. You can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org. And you can call into the radio show at 215-609-4301. Now let's dive into our conversation. A couple of weeks ago, I noticed a very powerful story on Facebook posted by local musician Joy Ike. She talked about a drive-by shooting that happened right outside her home in Germantown and the art sessions that she and her neighbor Bertie have been having on their porch at the time it happened and leading up to it. Joining us now are Joy Ike and Bertie Bush, both singers and songwriters, but just as important, two neighbors showing up on their block. Joy and Bertie, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. It's really enjoyable to just be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting us. Joy, I'll be honest. When I read your post, a lot of pain, but also some hope, just it just got caught in my throat and it stayed with me for some time. Do you think that you can summarize what happened? Yeah, um, so we've been hosting Paint on the Porch pretty much every week since the very beginning of June. Um, and it was just kind of birth from a conversation Birdie and I were having uh, in uh, the park. We were just kind of chilling out and painting and just catching up on on life. And and really, I think, you know, the, the conversation flowed in and out, but I think we both have been feeling a burden for our neighborhood and not really knowing how to be part of the solution um, and also not be passively part of the problem by just allowing things to be as they are, um, which I think it's, it's, it can be really easy to, to think that nothing's possible um, and that any, any kind of, any ounce of a solution is really just a drop in the bucket or a drop in the ocean. And so I know I was feeling very overwhelmed that day and, and that conversation just birthed the idea of creating uh, a safe space essentially where kids could just come and um, create 
I mean, there really wasn't much to it. And when the idea popped up, it was really kind of just like, oh, but that's too simple. That's not going to do anything, you know, but it's also fun and kids need that. And they need to think outside of the box and they, they need places where their atmosphere and their environment um, doesn't kind of sabotage that belief that there is possibility. And I think a lot of times that um, that's the default when you kind of, when all you see is a certain kind of paradigm, you exist in a certain kind of paradigm, it's hard to even believe that there's possibility. And when your mindset is in that space, then it also affects how you live, you know, and what you do and how you think. And so um, that's really the, the heart of what, we, what we're doing. You know, it's not really a thing because it's not really an organization. It's not, there's nothing to it except for just being and existing and, and really offering the gift of presence, I think. And I feel like maybe that's why, um, that's why it makes sense for me. And I, I would argue, I don't want to speak for Birdie, but I feel like that's why um, it came out of that conversation with Birdie because that's, that's who she is, that's her personhood. And so maybe that really planted the seed. But to fast forward and answer your question, we were there just hanging out on the porch that day. And it was probably around 540, 545-ish. And the girls were gathering their stuff to go home. And we just started hearing gunshots um, going, rolling down the street. And um, it took a few seconds to really like come to and figure out what was happening. Um, But it was getting louder. So we knew it was, we knew it was crawling around. And um, that's when things just kind of like broke out a little bit of chaos, trying to figure out where to go, you know, how to hide. Um, and ultimately we ran upstairs to my second floor apartment and, uh, you know, we both saw the truck rolling around the corner as we were scrambling. And so it was just very, it was very real and very, um, you know, it's like you hear all the time around the corner and, but it was just like so right in front of our faces. And I think because it was in the daytime, you know, still light out, it was, it just kind of hit in a different way um, for me at least. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Bertie. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's, and that's, that's pretty much the summary of kind of what happened um, that day. The, the paint on the porch, um, the paint on the porch kind of project and series is really, really joyous project. Mainly I've, I've gone to support sometimes and provide supplies. And the initial conversation that we had one day, um, was just kind of like, uh, listening to each other. Um, I reflected on, um, a series that I did in the summer of 2000, I believe it was 2015, um, on Marion Street uh, between Queen Lane and Hainesbury. Um, they had a closed block for the summer um, where, you know, during certain times of the day, it's closed to traffic. And um, a fellow neighbor and I, um, once a week, set up arts and crafts. She was a retired teacher and um, did different arts and crafts activities. Um, And it was really well received. Um, That neighbor um, the following year passed of um, cancer. And and it was 
the kind of thing where I thought that we would continue uh, to do it uh, together. Um, and a couple things happened. The, um, the situation on Hainesbury is very unstable. Um, when I say unstable, I mean from the standpoint of gun violence, um, very unpredictable in that way. Um, and part of, I think, having the paint on the porch um, on Joy's porch was that it was uh, off, off the blocks that were experiencing a lot of the, a lot of the gun violence. Um, a little bit like far enough that it was felt a little more of a safe space, but not too far that the kids couldn't feel like they could just walk around the corner and participate. Um, so we kind of talked about ideas and Joy, Joy really spearheaded, you know, like flyered and went around and um, tried to speak to adults and elders and, um, and then eventually started having having kids, mostly um, mostly young girls, elementary school age girls coming around and participating. So for me, it was really, uh, like Joy said, it was, uh, it was really the, the closest um, physically that I had um, been to a drive-by shooting. Um, I have lived um, in the 5200 block of Green for about eight years and have been in Philadelphia for about um, 20. Um, I, I, so I, I've, I've heard a lot of gun violence. Um, this was the kind of situation where you immediately just, um, your, your physical reaction was to just drop to the ground and screaming and trying to um, make sure that the kids were as far away from the street as possible. Um, and it's a wild spectrum of emotions um, to experience something like that um, and was really difficult in, in the sense that uh, I remember right before it happened, I was looking down. Um, Joy had kind of brought all of these river rocks um, from the Wissahickon um, and primed them so that um, the kids could paint them. And I had, um, I had come up and sat down to start painting a rock. And I was just looking around this um, table that Joy sets up on the porch and just feeling such gratitude <laughs> that kids has, had started to connect and come around. And I could just tell that Joy f felt so happy that, you know, that this idea was coming to fruition and and really like literally up until it started popping I was just feeling such an immense sense of gratitude and then from that to go from that feeling to um, the feeling of just kind of being in a in a door frame punched down and then kind of coming up from that and realizing <laughs> realizing you know that felt feeling like there really wasn't a safe space um, for these kids to just be um, was really heartbreaking. That was like my initial, initial feeling. Um, 
so yeah, that's, I guess my, my, um, as succinct as I could make it, um, description from, from my end. Well, I want to thank you both for sharing that. And I'm just sitting here trying to process all of it, feeling a lot of feelings. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling really, really moved by the idea that, that Joy was saying about just being a presence. And also the joy, the joy and the gratitude you were talking about, Bertie, because I think that one of the reasons why uh, Joy's, Joy's piece moved me so much is because there's been so many layers of grief this past year overall grief in our neighborhood and grief of humanity and grief in our own personal worlds, I'm sure. But you both were inspired to, to do this thing. And it's like you said, Joy, it might not have been, it's not an organization. It seems like a small thing, but I think it's something that everybody can wrap their heads around when they're feeling overwhelmed. They can do something like this on their block. How, how could you maybe uh, talk about how this works? How, if we wanted to do something like this on our block, how do we start? Yeah, um, you know, for me, I, a few years ago, um, I kind of hit a roadblock with making music and was really like, I'm done, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. and. Uh, and I just kind of was like, I don't know where to go from here, but I was just dealing with a lot of, um, uh, I guess maybe jadedness about it um, and really needed to step back. Uh, and I share that because when I stepped back, that's when I started making art um, and making art feels more natural than making music now. Um, and I think it's because at least for me, there are no expectations. Like music was always, I always wrote it to share, but making art was really a place for me to just show up and just be still and just process. Like I would just be listening to music or I would just do it in silence and just kind of just go, th go through whatever it was I needed to be going through. Half the time I didn't, I didn't even know what was happening, but I, I, I kind of, since this time passed that I was, uh, things were healing in me. And I firmly believe that sometimes in order for you to, you know, for something to transform in you, you kind of have to get your hands dirty or you have to actually physically do something. It's not just about, you know, knowing something, you kind of have to action it out. Um, even if you don't even know what you're making, it's just kind of the movement. And I don't know, I think that goes for dancing and gardening and all the ty the types of things that we do that we can call art. Um, uh, and so I say that because I don't think there, ha there has to be high expectations for doing something like this. Um, it's as easy as getting a coloring book and a table and some chairs, getting some coloring pencils and just having kids come. Um, it's as easy as, uh, pulling every, every week I put out a bowl of oranges just because I just really liked the bright color and because the kids are coming after school now. And so it's like, 
it's just like a snack, you know, and just something simple. But what I really love about this is, is it's simple. Um, and it doesn't require having any kind of art background even. Um, but, and, and I'm realizing it's like the art is what is bringing kids over. But as the weeks go by, you know, last week they were like, what's your name again? I was like, we've been here for like 12, 13 weeks now, <laughs> you know, and, but, and, and I say that because it's like, when they're starting to ask me questions about myself, that's how I know that they really want to be there, you know? And, yeah. and so it's really about the, the presence, like relationship. And for me, relationships are slow. Like I always got to do relationships slow because those are the ones that last. And so, you know, this week they were like, how are we going to do this in the winter? And I'm just like, I don't know. We'll have to see how things go. But when they start asking questions like that, I'm just like, okay, so they actually really want to be here. They're invested and they're showing showing it by, you know, dropping those little clues. So I really do think it's, it, it's got to be simple, you know, and we, we live in a world where everything needs to be shiny um, and perfect. And uh, I think it's really about going back to the simple and uh, yeah. Yeah. Bertie, this reminds me when, when Joy talks about that, it just makes me think about trust and how it sounds like the kids are definitely starting to feel safe and feel, feel trust with you. And, and I know you've done these projects before different art projects. Sometimes it's hard to gain trust with people. We don't know, even when we live right next to each other, what, what are the ways that you feel like you've gained trust? Um, you mean just like as a resident in my neighborhood or in, in pertaining to like art and children or? Both. Both. Um, I mean, I think that, um, you know, when, when I did the, the arts and crafts on the street with my, uh, my other neighbor, you know, she was an elder. Um, she's a woman of color. She had been a resident for a long time. And we both shared this, um, we, we both shared this intention and passion, but um, I really don't think that I would have tried to do it without that partnership with her. Um, I think that it was important. Um, you know, I'm, I'm aware that I'm, you know, uh, a white woman in a predominantly black neighborhood. Um, and especially with children, I think that um, it's important that they're working with people um, that they can connect with on that level of race just as much as anything else. Um, I would, I mean, I, I honestly, for me, people always joke that I'm somebody that walks everywhere and talks to everyone. Almost, it almost becomes a, uh, a joke that, you know, people have with me, but I, it's, it's always how I've kind of lived, you know, my adult life and and I think that 
that's just kind of how I continue to try and gain trust is lots of conversation, um, both light and heavy. Um, kind of going back to what we were saying, um, you know, before we even pressed play for the radio show is, um, you know, having conversations that aren't online and having conversations that feel, um, might feel scary or a little nerve wracking to enter. Um, especially, you know, especially in the past five or six years, it's like, I just feel like everyone's defaults to just not having a conversation at all because they're so wary of how they'll be perceived or how they'll perceive others. And I just, there's, I don't think there's time for that. <laughs> like, I really just think that people need to um, be trying to connect with each other as much as possible. Um, I don't know if that's really answering questions. I mean, my, my friendship with Joy um, kind of just grew naturally by way of, you know, we literally live next to each other. Um, we do share a lot of things in common. It's, I wouldn't say strange. It's, it's been interesting for the both of us having similar passions, both music wise. And then, um, and then also the pandemic happening, um, both of us, you know, finding, finding visual art as a respite and a different kind of portal, portal to, um, you know, working through things for me, I've always loved visual art, both as like a personal practice and as a, a way to connect with others and help others grow. Um, but when it really went off the table as far as performance and, you know, getting together a band of five, five or six people and singing and playing in a small space, I really just kind of had to go literally inward and visual art to me was something like Joy said, it doesn't have to be, it, it, it can be simple um, and you can work with what you have um, and you can work independently um, without too much hassle. Um, and I think we've just connected on, I, I mean, I think, I think I've just connected with joy in, in a lot in that regards of just like being really relaxed and open about talking about a lot of different things and also just um, working through them in similar ways. Um, it's been, it's been a really nice thing to have, you know, um, just like sol solidarity with, with people living in such close proximity to me. Um, Yeah. I love you, Birdie. <laughs> I love you but as far as like connecting with the kids, it can be really hard. Um, I was talking, I, I think I might've mentioned this to Joy, like I was spending the whole summer working. I was assisting on um, the murals that went in at the Sunoco. Um, and I was literally in the Sunoco parking lot the whole summer. 
Um, and on my way back and forth to my house, if I would see a child from the block, um, there's also elementary school age boys that hang out at the gas station a lot. And I would always say to them, like, you should come around. Um, we have, uh, there's a sign on the porch. Um, you don't have to bring anything. Come, you know, like we do all different, all different art projects. You should stop by, you know. Um, and with some of the little boys, I could barely get them to smile at me. And just, they seemed very skeptical. And I don't know if that's just because um, of my approach or they just, I, I'm not sure. It might be a variety of things. Um, and just kind of, kind of the sadness of seeing, especially young boys and how I feel like they feel they have to posture um, and act much older than they are. I mean, a lot of the boys I was interacting with might have not been much older than nine, 10. Um, and just trying to figure out how to, how to evolve that, um, you know, how to evolve that and, and to have kids feel like they can just be kids and, and do these things um, in the proximity to where they live. Um, you know, a, a word that Joy and I talk about a lot is like abundance and what is abundance and the different ways that people define abundance and feeling like Germantown is a place in some ways um, of so much abundance, but then also feeling like there's so many people that are struggling to, um, to have abundance of their own and to connect with, with abundance in a lot of different um, iterations and forms. Um, thank you for that. So I listened to what you said. And so um, I just want to give a bit of a, I guess, response to what you said, and then also like follow it up with a question, because I hear what you're saying, and I identify that pro that problem, right. And so living in Germantown, I also grew up in Germantown. And so I think the idea is that there's an adultification of black boys and girls specifically in these neighborhoods, because a lot of these children are at home, like I remember myself, taking care of themselves and we are adults in our own lives, right? Um, and so this is a solution, right? This project that you are doing is a solution to that. And I receive that and I see that. And so some, and when you, when, you, when you have conversations like these, right? And you talk about the need for them to be able to be their age, some could say that you don't know what you haven't experienced. And some of these people haven't experienced that at home, right? And so that's a possible factor in increased crime as our kids grow older as well. And so we know that recreational activities are very slim in urban neighborhoods. And so I just wanna know in your opinion really quickly y'all, um, why is art a part of a solution-based approach, right? To in inequity and violence that black, brown and working class people have endured in both historical and contemporary time, just really quickly. I know it's a complex, that was a complex question, but simple answers. <laughs> Joy, you can you can take this first if you want. Um, I love this question. I love this question. Um, man, uh, yesterday we were uh, painting and um, we were like doing some stencil art stuff. And one of the girls every week, she'll 
work on something and then she'll grab a paper towel and wet it and like wipe it all off and like over and over and over again. And I'm just like, you know, you don't actually have to do that. Um, you know, acrylic dries really quickly and when it dries, you can just paint right over it. And, and every week I'm always trying to look like I'm look, look for like the little nuggets or like what, what is like, how is this actually connect to like real life? Because your question is completely legit, Rashid. It's like, what does this have to do with anything? Because once they leave after that two hours, it's like they go right back into whatever it is they're dealing with. And, um, you know, yesterday we were just talking about, you know, when you get to a place where you make a mistake and you feel like there's no redemption and you feel like you can't move forward because you have to be perfect, that's where the walls start coming up. You know, and that's what, when you can't actually move forward, because when you realize that life is all about, you know, being imperfect and when you realize that you always have to, you know, get, you have to get creative and finding a path and in carving a path. Um, in my opinion, art is such a great teacher because not only does it teach you that you can always find solutions from problems, you know, it's either going to be a problem or it's going to be a possibility, you know? It always starts at a pro as a problem, but it either stays as a problem or it becomes a new possibility. Um, and so for me, art is huge in teaching that. And also um, art, good art is done slow. Um, and that's something that's really hard uh, for some of the girls that come because they want it to be nice and they want it to be done quickly. And when it doesn't look good right away, they don't want to do it anymore. And I have to like, I have to push and push and be like, no, you can actually do this. You can do this. Last week we were making paper mache eggs. And the one girl was like, I can't get this. I can't get this newspaper to stick. And I'm just like, yeah, you just got to press, like, you got to like rub it real slow. You can't do it fast because you got to make sure the glue makes it stick. Um, you know, just kind of stuff like that. And so the teaching of the slowness for me is super important because you can't do life fast. Life is not a race. You know, we think it's a race here in America. Uh, American culture is all about doing things fast and getting things now. Um, but I think art is such a great teacher because it teaches people to slow down and to notice things and to really appreciate beauty. Metaphors. <laughs> and I love Thank metaphors. You. Thank you. Meta metaphors. If, uh, if, if our listeners haven't read the piece that I'm referring to, it is on our website, germantowninfohub.org. Uh, Joy very generously allowed us to reprint it. And I, there's just so, so, so many good uh, conversations there as well. And it brings up a lot of what you were talking about, Bertie, being vulnerable, allowing yourself to be open, a lot, a lot of what you were talking about, Joy. I thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. I, I really could probably talk to you for two more hours about a lot of things. I have a lot of things on my mind right now, but um, but we're going, but but we're going to, uh, but we're going to take a short break and get to hear one of Joy Ike's songs, "Ever Stay." Thank you both so much again for being here. Yeah, thank you. thank you for um, thank you for having us. And agreed, it's it's the kind of thing, and it's kind of what Joy was saying. Like this kind of conversation and these kind of topics, 
it's like the art. It's, it's not gonna just be painted quick and it's, it's ongoing. It's like an ongoing conversation. And I guess that's my answer is just like, what can art give is like, and spaces for, for the kids to make art is like, I think it just kind of just like having space to, to just make things and conversate in a way that's calm and respectful to the kids and peaceful. And the more and more that 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 can happen in a proximity that is very close to, to home, I think is, is important. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This is, this is a treat. Thank you. We're going to take a short break.
and back to the Info Hub with your hosts, Malika and Rashid. Welcome back. Welcome back. So I have some questions for our listeners. Have you ever wondered what went wrong during a previous job seeking process? Do you ever think about what you could have done better or how might you maximize your chances of success in the future? Sometimes there are little things that we do or don't do that greatly affect our chances. And so today, to speak about this, we have our neighbor and author of What Were They Thinking? Avoid Behaviors and Attitudes That Can Ruin a Job Interview, Janice R. Jenkins, a.k.a. Janice Tosto. Janice, hello, it is such a pleasure to have you. Hello, we're really, hello. We're really happy to have you on here today. And just so how are you doing? Oh, well, it's good to see you. I missed you on uh, Sunday's event. It was a wonderful event. I was looking forward to see you, but I'm so happy to be here to talk to you now. Hi again, Maleka. <laughs> Hi, Janice. Yes, I got the recap of Sunday and I really was sad that I couldn't be there. I had some um, personal obligations that I had to tend to unexpectedly, but I'm really just glad to hear that you're doing good and that you enjoyed the event. Um, and so now, Janice, you have some points outlined that you want to share with our listeners. And so I just want you to share that and even after and depending on the time, I may have some questions from our neighbors mm-hmm. and maybe even Malek and I may have some questions on our own that we'll ask. OK, so does that sound good? That sounds fine. All righty. So the stage is yours. OK, great. Um So summer is over and September is usually a time when, you know, folks start looking for employment. Kids have returned to school. So September is usually a a busy job seeking month. So I'm just going to um, provide the audience with um, some some five basic tips uh, for organizing a job search. Five things, five tips that I think are really important. So my first tip is that it's really important to do some basic preparation. And I love when when you and I had the conversation, um, Rashid, in preparation for this interview, you talked about um, seeing yourself as the prize. And I just, I love that language. And so my, you know, my tip is that uh, job seekers need to prepare to uh, present themselves as uh, someone who brings value to an organization. That is extremely important. So I'm gonna give you a real quick personal example. So I was at a job a few years ago and uh, was out for a while due to um, an, an injury, came back to the job and found that a lot of things had changed. Um, I really wasn't satisfied with uh, the lack of preparation on my supervisor's part. I stayed for a month and then decided, hey, I don't like this and I'm going to move on. I found a new job and not even 10 minutes after I had given my letter of resignation to my supervisor, did I receive um, an invitation from the HR manager to meet with her. And basically she tried to convince me to stay. And I explained to her my reasons for not wanting to stay. And I told her I was not going to change my mind. So that wasn't the end of it. (laughs) So then my former supervisor contacted my then current supervisor and said to her, we have to find a way to keep Janice here. And my current supervisor, she bluntly told him, well, we didn't treat her right. So she is leaving. And that was the end of that. I left. Yeah, I left. And right. And that was that. They lost the good worker because of, you know, their they're not wanting to provide me with the support that I needed to do my job. So I left. And so that's what, so I guess that's my point is that job seekers should, you know, position themselves so that 
employers see that this is someone who's going to bring some value to this organization. And this is someone that we need to have on our team. Okay. The other thing, do some self-assessment and exploration. Do you want to stay in the same field? Do you want to transition into another field? I was in the workforce development field for about 20 years, and then I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. So I looked at my skills and, you know, did some assessments and decided that I wanted to do something else. And then I ended up working in uh, the public health field. So that's what I'm doing now. So think about, you know, think about the road that you want to travel. Again, do you want to stay in the same profession or do you want to do something differently? Okay. Monitor your social media footprint. A lot of companies are doing social media checks. So you might want to go through your social media to make sure that you don't have anything on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok that might, that might give an employer, you know, cause for concern. So just look out for that. Okay, get a professional email address. To this day, I still get resumes from people with inappropriate email addresses. Your email address should be something very simple. Your name, some numbers, boom, that's it. But all of this big money and all these other things, no, save that for save that for your your private life. Professionally, (laughs) use your name. That that's that's what you need to do. Okay, very important. Use phone etiquette. Okay. If you recognize your friend's number on the phone, you know, that's one thing. You speak to your friends how you speak to your friends. When an employer calls you, the last thing they need is for someone to say, hello, who's this? What's up? Who's calling me? Like that you don't want to do. You don't want to do. You want to use a standard greeting. Hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, you know, whatever time it is. And then give the other person a chance to speak. If it's a telemarketer and you're not interested, you know what you do, hang up. But be mindful of your phone etiquette. You want to be as courteous as possible because, again, you don't know who's on the other end. And also let potential references know that you're job seeking. Don't surprise folks. First of all, you want to make sure that you have their accurate contact information so that employees can reach them. And again, you want to be upfront to let them know that you're job seeking so they're not surprised. You know, I've had situations where I've uh, employees have reached out to me to provide a reference from someone for someone. And I didn't even know that they were job seeking. And I felt bad because I'd been caught off guard. I didn't know what they were currently doing. Like I didn't know what to say. So you want to prepare your references so that they know exactly what to say on your behalf. Very important. So that's my first tip. So do some preparation. Second tip is update your resumes and cover letters. Make sure that your resumes and cover letters are error free. Look at them, you know, look at the language, the grammar, all of that. Get a second pair of eyes, a third pair of eyes if you need to. Make sure that your resume and cover letter are error free. You want to make sure that they're clear and coherent. No run on sentences. You want to make sure that, you know, punctuation, you know, everything is properly punctuated. At the bottom of your resume, do not put references available upon request. Because every employer checks references. So that line is totally not necessary. I interviewed, um, actually, I got an inquiry from a, a Germantown resident. And she sent me, her resume and her cover letter were absolutely outstanding. And I had contacted her and I was very interested in meeting with her. But we stopped the process at the beginning because she was going to school and she already saw that there was going to be a conflict with the time. But her cover letter, what I loved about her cover letter was that she really told the story. She told me who she was, why she was interested in the position and what she could bring to the agency. I mean, it was really fantastic, well-written. And the same thing with her resume. 
crisp, clear, up-to-date, no run-on sentences, properly punctuated, everything. I received a resume last year, I kid you not, from a job applicant. And one of the bullets on his resume, he said something about doing, literally said, doing, I'm doing all this extra work because all the managers do is smoke all day. He put that on a resume. (laughs) You don't want to put that on a resume. You don't even want to say that in an interview. If that was the reality, I get it, but that's not what you want to put on a resume. You want to highlight your skills, your education, all everything that is an asset everything that would make you an asset to a company. So you don't want to put anything personal on a resume. You don't have to include a picture on your resume. Some folks are not even putting their addresses. They're putting just their name, their city. Some people are omitting zip codes. And I, you know, how people do their resumes, you know, I totally understand that because unfortunately there are people who discriminate. So they look at names and zip codes. I mean, me personally, I look at the resume as I get all I'm concerned with is is, you know, what kind of skills the person has, the education, the background. That's what I'm concerned about. I will learn how to pronounce the name. But what I'm really interested in is finding a good fit. And as far as couple letters are concerned, so that's debatable because some folks, like you have told me, Rashid, that you've never had to submit a cover letter. My feeling is mm-hmm. if the employer is asking for a cover letter, send it. If they don't specifically ask for one, then that's your judgment call. If you want to send it, fine. If you don't, you know, again, that's your decision. The reason I like cover letters is because I like to read, you know, I like to read people's stories. So I like to see, you know, how people write. I like to see what they say. Um, So, you know, again, that's me. But I've had situations where I've received resumes and no cover letter, and that's been fine, too. But if the employer is asking for a cover letter, by all means, send that. Okay. so. Uh, Tip number three, target your search. Read job announcements very carefully, especially the must-haves. If a job announcement says that you must have a driver's license for the position, don't apply for the position if you don't have one, okay? And the reason I say that is because I've had that happen. I have advertised for positions that required a driver's license and had people, you know, send me resumes, and then I'm looking, scanning the, the qualifications, and it says no driver's license, okay? So read job announcements very carefully to make sure that you match what the employer is asking for, okay? Conduct a serious search where you're open to accepting interviews. Some people just send resumes all over the place. And then when when employers contact them, they forget that they sent the resume, they're not interested. Do a serious search and only send your resume out to companies you would be interested in hearing back from and potentially interviewing with. That is extremely important because you don't wanna waste your time and you don't wanna waste the employer's time. If you are offered an interview and the employer sends you materials, read those materials, okay? They're not sending that to you just for their health. Read what they send you and bring it with you to the interview. And, you know, again, when you read highlight things so that you can ask questions based upon what you've read and based upon the information that you've highlighted, okay? Um, So tip number four, show up for the interview. And I am not being funny when I say this. I can't tell you how many times, and this happened to me as recently as a week ago, where I had an interview scheduled. The person didn't show up. She didn't call me to tell me she wasn't coming. She didn't send an email. She just did not show up. Okay. That is extremely rude. 
It is okay. It is more than okay to tell an employer, I've changed my mind. I'm no longer interested in being considered for this position. Thank you very much for your time. That's fine. But not showing up for the interview, extremely problematic. Because in that time that I was waiting for this young lady, I could have been interviewing someone else. I could have been on my way home. (laughs) You know, have common courtesy. If you're not interested in the position, just let the employer know. Don't ghost the employer, okay? If you're doing an interview by Zoom, dress as if you were going to the interview in person. Now, people can't see me, but I'm dressed as if I'm going to an interview. I don't have my jacket on, but I have a nice sweater on, top, professional pants, and I even have shoes on. And I'm at home, so I could be in my slippers, I could be in sneakers, but I'm dressing as if I'm going to an interview. So you want to get into that mindset. If you're doing a Zoom interview from home, Dress the part, dress the part, because then again, you're adopting that mindset. When you're interviewing, turn off your phone so that there are no distractions, like turn off your phone. Take notes. It is okay to bring a paper and pad, you know, pad and pencil, pen with you. Take notes. Yeah. Let say to the, you know, say to the interviewer, you know, I'd like to take some notes. I mean, no interviewer that I know of is going to object to that. Like when I'm interviewing someone, like I want them to have as much information as possible about the position. So take advantage of that. Take notes right as they're speaking. So that way, again, you know, you have information there. You can always ask questions. When you go home, you can always look at the notes. You can look at what's been said. So take notes. Also, prepare to share stories about uh, previous positions. Share stories about lessons or skills that you've learned. Share stories about how you've helped a coworker, how you de-escalated conflict. You know, share positive stories. I love hearing people's stories. I really do. One thing I will caution is don't get personal. As a potential employer, like, I don't need to know how many children you have. I don't need to know, you know, your, your personal information. Like, I don't need to know that. But I do want to know that, you know, you can cooperate with coworkers, that you can collaborate with folks. I want to know that you can step up and be a leader when that's called for, you know. So tell interviewers your story. Don't just answer questions. Like, tell stories. Share things about you. Share achievements. That's really important. Ask questions. That is extremely important. It always boggles my mind when I'm interviewing folks and they have no questions for me. And there are always questions you can ask. So some of the questions that you can ask, ask who your supervisor will be. What is that person's background? What are their skills? What's their training? That is extremely important. What is their management and leadership style? You want to know those things. Okay. Um, Ask about remote work. Are you going to have to go on site? Will there be opportunities to work at home? Ask those questions. Ask about dress code. Ask the company how COVID affected their operations. That's really important. Ask if there are uh, opportunities for professional development. So if you want to pursue some trainings that will help you do a better job, will the company pay for those trainings? So you want to ask about that. You want to ask and, and again, if the organization is, is not comfortable answering this question, then that tells you a lot. You, you want to ask an organization, in what areas does your organization need to grow? You know, where are some of the gaps in your services? Where do you need to grow? And again, if they're not comfortable being honest and upfront about that, 
then that should tell you something because I never want to work for an organization where people are telling me that everything is fine. We have no problems. Everything is okay. Because that is not the case. If there's some challenges, you need to be upfront with people so that they know what they're walking into. That's extremely important. You can ask about how, um, how staff uh, satisfaction is measured. So do they do surveys? Do they do one-on-one interviews? You know, you want to ask that. How do you measure client status, uh, uh, staff satisfaction? Um, you can ask about incentives that are, you know, is there an incentive program built in for staff members? Um, one question I love to ask is, how long has the most senior member of the team been working for the company? I love those stories. I love to hear, oh, this person, Mary, she's been with the company for 25 years, because those are the people you want to talk to. You know, what's kept them there for 25 years? You know, I love hearing those stories. So those are some of the questions that you really want to ask. Okay, I interviewed, um, again, a a Germantown resident. Oh, wonderful interview. He came in with the with the, the greatest attitude. He was upbeat. He kept us laughing, but he had all his certificates, all his credentials, and we really liked him. The situation was that um, someone else was offering him a job close to home, so he didn't take our job, but he was absolutely a fantastic candidate. And then my last tip is send a thank you note. Be courteous. Send an employer a thank you note. Tell them, thank you so much for offering me this opportunity to talk about my interest in your position. And you can use that that thank you note as an opportunity to just remind them about why you want the job and what you can bring to the organization. So those are my five tips. You know, again, prepare yourself, update your resumes and cover letters, target your search, show up for the interview and send a thank you letter. And it doesn't have to be a letter. It can be a thank you note. It can be an email, small card, but say thank you. Say thank you. Thank you that you have the opportunity to present yourself and to, you know, see, show the organization that you are the best person for that position. Yep. I love that. I really do love that. The thank you note is something that I don't think a lot of people think about. And I don't think that a lot of people think about that follow-up after they accept or, I mean, after they get accepted or decline an offer, right? Um, but overall, just great information, Janice. Just wow. Um, really insightful and wise. And I'm just really sorry that we don't have more time for some of the questions I have, because you know I love having these conversations with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are really a joy to speak to. And it's always really just good to learn something that really could just benefit us. And so neighbors, those were Janice's top five tips. Um, And just remember that Janice R. Jenkins is the author of What Were They Thinking? Avoid Behaviors and Attitudes That Can Ruin a Job Interview, where you can learn more about, where you can learn more from her about this topic. And so thank you again for coming and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Rasheed. Thank you, Maleka. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. Well, Germantown, it's about that time. If you have a story that you want to hear covered, please get in touch with us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com or text infohub to 73224 to start asking us some questions. Follow us on Facebook at Germantown Infohub and on Instagram at gtown infohub and on Twitter. And that is our show. Again, I am Rashida Jamu, aka Philly's Freedom John. And I'm Maleka Fruin. We're going to close today with Water by Birdie Bush.
Everything is water underneath the bridge. 